This is a Poets and Writers page one author reading. To hear more, visit us at pw.org forward slash multimedia or at soundcloud.com forward slash poets and writers. Chapter one. We worshipped our author, and when she sent us an email telling us her masterpiece was done, we cancelled our plans and packed our bags and flew from our cities to Warsaw, where, bedraggled and ecstatic, we took the train into town and boarded the bus for Białowieża. It was our seventh pilgrimage to the village at the edge of the primeval forest where she lived. She had always lived there, five miles from the Belarusian border. She loved that forest as much as we loved her books, which, without a fraction of a second's hesitation, we would have laid down our lives to defend. We treated her every word as sacred, even though our whole task was to replace her every word. We arrived on September 20th, 2017. It was a new moon, but the stars of the northern hemisphere transformed her slim, sinuous home, converting the oak strips on the convex walls into quicksilver that momentarily held the frenzied shadows of the forest, slickening their inextricable shapes, and then engulfed them. There were eight of us. Swedish was new, handsome as a red deer, and we knew at first sight that he would be her favorite, not only because of the prestige of his language, a conduit to her inevitable Nobel Prize, but also because of his saunter, his stance, that gratifying invitation in his hot blue eyes. Because somehow, that evening, our author's unshakable husband, Bogdan, whose lust, we believed, worked like kerosene on her authorial imagination, wasn't there. With Bogdan gone, she was different from how we'd ever seen her. She was ghost white. She remained immune to shadow, but her eyes were black holes, and it hurt to look into them directly like we were being torn apart. So we kept our eyes on her crossed arms. But even her arms weren't her arms anymore exactly, more like twigs half-inhumed by her too heavy, sludge-colored dress. Her neck lacked the onyx amulet she'd been given by her grandfather, the local black magician. Without it, her collarbone jutted out like it wanted to break. She didn't say much. She said nothing about Bogdan. We chalked up all these departures from our routine to the toll of finishing a magnum opus. We felt certain we could help her, not only because of Swedish, but also because we always had. Now we'd have to. Besides Bogdan, we were the only ones she truly trusted. If he was gone, that meant that all she had was us. That night, we simply tried not to tax her. Soon we adjourned to our usual rooms while Swedish stayed downstairs with her. We assumed she would put him in Czech's former place in the shed in the backyard. Perhaps if she had, there would have been no fire, no Tempelhof, no old revolvers. But back then, we were still in possession of our greatest luxury, never questioning her choices, transmuting the form without so much as touching the substance, or so we believed. Her staircase was a spiral of oak that Dawn brought back to life. The third step up had a knot that brought good luck. We held many superstitions, which we'd teach Swedish in the coming months. We'd learn in turn that he had expert knowledge of much of what was hidden in the forest. Underground networks, electric, that we never even knew were there, although we had always belonged to them. 
On the third floor, a Serbian and Slovenian shared the bedroom with the slanted ceiling and the skylight, two twin beds, and the balcony overlooking Belarus. English occupied the second floor suite and the sleek tiled stove and private shower, a glass case in the middle of the room. German got the cot in the winter garden where he'd sleep beneath the upside-down constellations and the Czech chandelier surrounded by prayer plants and ferns. The Czech chandelier was made of ten little skulls and too many bones for us to count. The house was filled with storied objects, dark portraits of her ancestors in scalloped, gilded frames, a grand piano never played, massive chests with cavernous keyholes, a Bosdogan mace, a solid bronze candelabra three feet high with nine tendrilling, gravity-defying arms. Around the living room hung suits of armor that fortified our feeling that her home was our fortress, our defense against the wrong-headed world. When we were translating, which we did every day except for Sunday, we worked at a table for ten on the third floor. We took all our meals together at an identical table downstairs. When we had time to socialize, we did so in the other downstairs room, the one with the lotto-like carpet, thick and blood-red, with indecipherable black-and-white calligraphy.